Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. What does it mean to leave a legacy? Usually when we talk about legacy in our modern culture, we talk about things related to money. Oh, I left a legacy gift to my children or to my grandkids. That's part of our legacies. We, we got them this college savings fund or we got them this money or we passed this on. Or, or sometimes we talk about legacy with like uh, universities or something. Oh, they gave a legacy gift and therefore we named a building after that person because they gave the, that's part of their legacy is they got a building named after them. Things like that. We, legacy we often think of in terms of money. But legacy is bigger than that, right? It's not just money. There's a lot of things we pass on. And a lot of us have stories, and we have a legacy that has been passed on to us from our family. And some of it's good, some of it's not. You know, Dominic was sort of reflecting on the, 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 the absence of a, of a father and, and how, that, how that has an effect on us. Um, some of us have uh, maybe family members where the legacy is, um, you know, we're all alcoholics in this family. So... Your, your legacy is you come from a long line of alcoholics. I've, I've heard that story a lot, right? Or, or all the men in our family are womanizers, and you're from that line. You know, there's like that kind of thing that's in, in your background. And I, and I certainly have some of those stories as well in, in my family. But sometimes a legacy can be a good thing that you get from your family. Sometimes they pass on some really great qualities, and these things have been passed on from generation to generation to you. My, maybe like a legacy of faith. My grandfather was a... Pastor, church planter, started a church in a movie theater, uh, a, a 1920s movie theater, because he did this in the 1920s uh, in London, and he also planted a church in, in Belfast and, and Glasgow, and so that's, that's a thing, right, in my history. I never met him. He died in like 1945, but um, that's, that's part of the legacy, that, that he knew the Lord and he wanted his children to know the Lord. Now, it didn't didn't exactly stick with my dad. My dad was an atheist, so it didn't exactly go there. But my, my generation, we've picked up the faith again. Um, and so uh, that's, that's part of the legacy of faith. My wife's family, her grandfather's a strong believer. Her, her dad's a believer. Uh, all, my, my wife and, and then all of her siblings are all involved in ministry in some way, pastoring churches around the country. And, and so there's a, there's a legacy of faith there with, with her whole side of the family that continues it continues on, and that's kind of a, a very powerful thing. And my guess is if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's because somebody passed that on to you. Somebody along the way told you about Jesus. Somebody along the way loved you enough and decided that it was worth telling you this very important information that there is a God, he knows you, and he loves you. Jesus died for you. You can have a relationship with God through Jesus. Like, told you the whole gospel at some point, you, you you learned that. And somebody loved you. It, was a, it might have been your mother or your grandmother told you or your dad passed it on to you. Maybe a friend at school told you at some point, maybe a teacher or a coach. There was someone in your story, if we go back and look at the story, there's someone in your story who told you this and, and, and the faith in Jesus was passed on, kind of part of the legacy. It was passed on from, from someone uh, even to you. And so I want to close out this series today. We've been talking about legacy and I want to talk about just um, 
passing faith on to the next generation. Now, in this series, we've talked a lot about parents and what responsibility parents have in their own home to pass on the faith. There's many things that parents try to do as parents, but, but passing on the faith is a very uh, a, a crucial thing, and, and really the, the point of being parents is to have our children come to know the Lord and, and follow him. And so we've talked about that, um, and, and, and I want to close that out because um, it's not just parents. It really does take a village. It takes all of us involved in this. And so I want to talk about what that could look like. There's a, a really interesting scripture in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul was a church planter, and he had a protege, a, a guy named Timothy. And Timothy was from sort of south-central Turkey. And, uh, and Paul went there and told people about Jesus, and he met Timothy and ended up recruiting Timothy to join him as they went and planted other churches. Now, Timothy's going to become a pastor himself, and he will pastor the church in Ephesus, which Paul later writes letters to Timothy and to, to the church at Ephesus. Um, but I want you to hear how Paul describes Timothy's faith as he writes to him this letter in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read to you just verses 3 through 5. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remembered you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He sort of calls out the legacy there that Timothy's a part of. Timothy, I know you're, you're faithful, you, you, you understand God, you know him, and the reason why is your grandmother and your mother taught you. So obviously dad's not exactly in the picture, maybe his mom married a Gentile, and he's, he's not talking about Christianity as we know it, he's really talking about being Jewish, so his, his, parent, his mother was Jewish, and so Timothy uh, has understood the idea of one God, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, we've talked about that, that scripture, Timothy would have recited that you know, throughout the day and, and would be familiar with that. So when Paul met Timothy, he met a guy who already had some basic understanding of God. And so Paul tells him about, okay, Jesus is the Savior that we've been waiting for. And, and he kind of affirms, hey, there's a legacy here. This has been passed on from generation to generation, and now it's in you. Um, he, Timothy had faith, but it was like updated by Paul. Um, that is the hope that I have for my kids here, that my kids would come to know Jesus, they would understand the gospel, that they would understand that they are sinners, but that they are loved by God, and that, that there is hope, and there is a future when they give their lives to him and follow him. And that is not just my hope for my kids, that's my hope for your kids too, for all of them, that they would all be a part of this community and know that right now in A10 Kids at 2810 Down the Street, they're learning about Jesus in an age-appropriate way. That on Wednesday nights with, when the teenagers gather, they're learning about Jesus in an age-appropriate way. They would understand the gospel, know who Jesus is, know he died for their sins. Um, that, that's my hope for this community. So how can a church be like that? How can we actually function that way? How can we pass on a legacy of faith to the next generation? I think we're going to have to leverage a few things that God has given us for that. And I'll, to, to do that, I want to back up one chapter to 1 Timothy, the first letter Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 17. I want to read this to you um, and, and listen to the instruction Paul gives to Timothy. He says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
All right, there's a lot in there. But Paul tells Timothy, hey, you know how there's some rich people in the church? For them, here's what I want you to do. Remind them not to be haughty, nor, and, and remind them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches. It's really interesting to me because in Paul's day, what are riches? How, how are you wealthy? Well, I guess you literally have coins that are gold and silver and that kind of thing, and you have like, you know, a stockpile of them, right? There's no banking system like we understand it today, right? They're, they're not doing that. And he says, you know how you could have a stockpile of coins? Don't rely on that to be your hope for the future. Don't rely on that to be your everything, because that is uncertain. If Paul thought that coin-based monetary system in the first century was uncertain, what do you think he might think about crypto? (laughs) Right? Or our entire banking system that is no longer based on real things. Like... Fair, full disclosure, I don't entirely understand our banking system, okay? I know enough to know that it got taken off of a gold standard like 30 or 40 years ago, and now we just like print money based on nothing. So it's like, hey, we're running low on money, let's print more. I'm like, well, if we could do that, why haven't we just been doing that all along? Why don't you just send me a printer? I just get, that's all I need. I don't need money. I just need a printer. We're just printing it over there and handing it out. Like, I'm like, oh, but this might inject more money into the economy and inflation. Okay, yes, these are complicated systems. I get it. But, but money, I mean, it's not like you're counting out stacks of hundreds when you pay your rent, right? It's, it's, it's all digital. It's all numbers on a screen somewhere. And, you know, every, your job pays you and that goes into your account and you go, oh, they gave me money. Look, I can see numbers on a screen. And then you give that somewhere else. Hey, electric bill, here's my money. That's these numbers. I'm going to hand them to you and then you have some. Like, this is the way it works now. Is that not uncertain? Like, what if there's a glitch? Like, there, there are some significant weaknesses to the system that we rely on, right? Like, what are we doing here? And Paul, Paul's telling people in, a, in maybe a, a stronger system than that, Paul's telling people, do not rely on this. Your entire life savings could go away. Your 401k could disappear. You'd lose a lot of money very quickly. Inflation could happen and all of your savings could be useless. That's happened within the last hundred years. Like, stuff happens. So don't put all of your hope and rely on, oh, I'm just going to make enough money and everything's going to be fine. Uh, Paul encourages people to do that. Um, And and he says, um, instruct the rich in the church. And here's the thing. We read that and we go, well, this isn't talking to me. A lot of the Bible might be applicable to me, but this one is not mine because this says to rich people and I'm not one of the rich people. But we always have to remember, globally, Americans are the rich people. Right? In, the, in this room, there's a range of income. Some of you make very little money. Some of you make a lot of money. There's a whole range. We all got different stuff going on, different responsibilities, whatever. But globally, you know, if we're making more than $2 a day, we're, we're, we're ahead. You know? and, and if you're making you know, 20 grand a year or something, you're like in the top. I, I, don't, I haven't looked up the exact number. It's like top 5% of global earners, that kind of thing. So um, there are resources here. There, there's money. And so... Um, when it says instruct the rich people, I, I think as a nation we could at least look at that and go, I mean, that's probably applicable to us, right? So whatever, I'm going to read you the next couple of verses, but read this as if it is applicable to you too. 
Otherwise, you'll just ignore it and go, ah, that's for, that's for those rich people. And we can always think of someone who makes more money than us and say, they're the rich people, not me. And then we'll miss Paul's point to Timothy. So apply this to yourself. Verse 18, he says to rich people, he says this, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now that's four things. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share. In some ways, that's four things, but in, in another way, that's all kind of saying this one thing, which is pour out what you have for others. Whatever you've been given, if it's a little or a lot, pour it out for others. Leverage that stuff for the sake of other people. And it's not just money, right? He says to, be, to, do, good, to do good, to be rich in not just money, he says to be rich in good works. Yeah, it's about money, but it's about other things as well. And I think it's instructive for us because if we really want to leave a legacy, that is actually how you do it. You pour out everything God has given you for the sake of the next generation, for the sake of the people that are coming after you. Verse 19, continuing on. And in doing that, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The goal is not get rich and die. Let me just accumulate stuff and then I'm going to die and this is going to be awesome. Paul's instruction to the church is um, pour this out for the sake of others. And in doing that, you're going to build up, in a sense, build up treasure in the things that actually matter. You're going to do some things that have eternal value. You're going to make a difference in the lives of people forever, not just for your own personal family's, you know, net worth in, in the here and now. Um, pursue the eternal things that matter and leverage what we have so others can know God. And I think we can do this in, in three ways um, that, that, I, that I see sort of here in, in the text. Uh, number one is this, leverage your time for the sake of the next generation. Leverage your time for the sake of the next generation. Um, we all have 168 hours a week. That's consistent, right? We all have that. And uh, you fill those hours up with stuff. You sleep, you work, you eat, you exercise, whatever. You fill that up. But if you've ever sat down and broken those out, and, and I've, I've done this within the last year where you just write out, like, how many hours am I working and how many hours am I sleeping and, what, you know, food prep or whatever, um, what you'll find out when you do that is there's really a lot of hours in 168. Like, there are hours to do some things. You've got some room to spend time with your family and also make that call and go for that long run and whatever, whatever it is. Like, there is time in, in, in all those hours for you to do uh, a, a whole lot of things. Um, and so we ask people in this church, we, we unapologetically ask you to give up some of your time to serve and be involved and, and leverage your time for the next generation. So we unapologetically ask people to serve in Area 10 Kids. Right now there's people serving who are not in here. They're down there and they are serving with kids and they're holding babies and they're teaching toddlers and they're talking to elementary school kids and answering their questions. There's people doing that right now and they're doing it, you know, a rotation once a month, twice a month, something like that. And they're doing that so that kids can know the Lord. They're leveraging their time for the sake of the next generation. We ask, ask people to do that. We ask people to serve with students midweek. Students meet on Wednesday nights, teenagers. Um, and, and we have people who give up every week to come and serve with those teenagers so that teens can come to know God, which is a, you know, 
teenage life, that's, that is just a hard time of life, right? Middle school, you remember that? Some of you are like, I don't want to remember that at all. It was the worst. All right, it's hard. And, we want, and we've got adults that are willing to give up their time to walk with middle schoolers and high schoolers to help them know uh, the Lord. And this is important work for the church. Statistics show that almost anyone who accepts Christ as their Savior and comes to know Jesus does so before their 18th birthday. That's, that's the reality. Now, some of you came to Christ as an adult, but mostly what happens is people come to Christ before their 18th birthday. Therefore, as a church, the most strategic thing we could do is make sure we're pouring a lot of time and energy and effort and money and all of that into people who are younger than 18 so that they can come to know Christ. That just strategically, it's a great idea. These kids growing up in the church are not the church of the future. They're the church of now. They are, they are part of what's going on and what God is doing um, in, in this city. And so we want to strategically in, invest in them. And so leverage your time for them. I know you're busy. I, I get it. I, I know you have a lot going on. I, I heard a, some sort of quote or meme kind of thing this week, and it said, adulthood is basically wandering around saying things are going to calm down in a couple weeks for the rest of your life, and then you die. And I think there's something to that, right? Because you've said it, you've said that, you probably said it in the, in the last week or something. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's just a rough couple of weeks. Things are going to calm down. No, they won't. <laughs> they won't. It's just the way it goes. So the rest of your life. So take some of your 168 and invest some of that time to pass on faith to the next generation. Secondly, I would say this. Leverage your financial resources for the sake of the next generation. You can't miss the fact that Paul's instruction in Timothy there does include a conversation about actual money. To rich people, he's saying, don't rely on your money, but do good, be generous, and share. Um, that's the principle. All of us have some money. Some of us have a lot of money. Some of us have a little bit of money. But all of us have some. And the principle is the same across the board. The principle is be generous and willing to share. There's a lot of things you can do with money, if you think about it. Um, you can uh, pay rent and mortgage. You can pay dominion. They keep wanting a lot of it. I don't, they just keep asking for that. Um, I understand it keeps the lights on. I'm good with this. Uh, you, can, you can pay taxes. Um, I, you can buy fun stuff. You could go on vacation. You could buy a new phone. Um, th th there's lots of ways to, to, to use money, right? You could save it for a rainy day. Um, but I would encourage you to think about how to give it away and to be generous with it. Um, that is a thing we can do with money. You can give it to others for, for their benefit, growth, health. You can give it to, like in the church, give it to the church for the sake of expanding the kingdom and doing more of the work God has for us here in the city. Give your money away. The cool thing about giving away money is it's the one thing I think we can do with money, maybe not the only thing, but I think it's maybe the biggest thing we can do with money that we don't regret. Like you've made purchases you regret, right? You, you know you bought that shirt and it looked better in the store than when you got home? And you're like, oh. This actually, you know, so you have regret. You, you, you bought, you went on that vacation and it did not satisfy. You were not rested. It was not, it was not great, right? Oh, man. You got a meal. You ordered the thing. It looked so good in the picture, but in, in reality, it wasn't that good, 
right? You've spent money and regretted it. But I bet you've never regretted being generous. You've never regretted it. You've never been like, man, they, they came around at Christmas at the office and they asked for money for those kids. Man, the kids, I don't even like them. Why did I even, why did I even give them any money for those kids? Right? You've never said that. You don't regret being generous. Right? There's causes that you support. Oh, I, you know, I gave to United Way and I gave to this thing and we, we helped. They, they were passing around the hat and we all chipped in money to give. Like, you don't regret spending money generously for others. You just regret spending things on yourself that didn't satisfy. I think that's real. And so leverage your financial resources, the money that you have um, for the next generation. And I would say be generous to this church because we are trying to leverage the money for the next generation. The kids' curriculum that they're, that they're learning from today, that's not free. We have to pay for that. Sending kids to CIY, the Christ and Youth Conference camp this summer, uh, that's not free. That, that costs money to send kids and, and to ha- for them to have that kind of experience. Um, for there to be space to, for kids to meet at all, the fact that we have 2810s being used right now for children, uh, that's not free. This is a wonderful theater. It just has no space for kids while adults are meeting in here, right? So we had, we've had, over the years, had to be creative in how we use space. But that stuff's not free. You have to pay the mortgage and, and all those things. Um, so we, we, we take a portion of the money that is given to the church and we use that so that the next generation can come to know him. Leverage what God has given to you. And, and with that, keep the mindset that the money that you make is money that God gave to you. It is his. He allowed you to have it. Now, here's where we want to argue because we're Americans. And we're like, I worked hard for this money. I, I'm good at my job. I'm employee of the whatever, the quarter or the month. Or the, like, I, I'm good at this. Like, I earned my money. That's what we like to say. And I get that. And in some ways, that's true. But you know what is also true? What is also true is you do not control your industry. You don't get to pick whether it has a good season or not. You can do your part, but you don't control these macro forces of the economy that allow your industry to do well so that you make good money. You don't control that stuff. Here's an even better one. You live in a country where when you work hard, it is financially compensated really well. That doesn't mean you're the hardest worker on the planet. It just means you live in a place where there's money attached to it. Did you control where you were born? Anybody? Did anyone here pick where they were born? No. You, you were born here. And so you have the opportunity of being here. Is that a gift from God? I, I think so. I'm not saying, oh, God bless Americans. God gives. I'm just saying the opportunity is here to make money and to be rewarded for your hard work financially are different than in a lot of places in the world. And I think you know that's true. There are people working harder than you from sunup to sundown in some you know, sub-Saharan African country, and they're not getting the money you're getting. So we, can, we, you know, we don't have to get into all like economic theory and all this stuff. We could just go, thank you, God. Thanks that I have the opportunity to be here and do this. Now, what am I going to do with the blessing that God has given me? How can I leverage what has been given to me for the sake of others? Intentionally, generously, sacrificially, give your money away. 
And I, would, and I would encourage you to give a portion of it here in the church because we are using it to reach the next generation. This is what we're trying to do. And then finally this, leverage your talents for the sake of the next generation. So leverage your time, le- leverage money, leverage talent for the sake of the next generation. There are some things that you are really good at, and God has given you those as well. There are things God has put in your hands. You're a, a musician. You're an artist. You're very hospitable. You're a great listener. You're, you're wise. You have, good, you have good words to share. Uh, you have a lot of knowledge about some pretty important stuff. You, like, I don't know. It varies all across this room. We have all been given things by the Lord. And what would it look like for you to leverage what you have been given for the sake of the community and for the sake of reaching the next generation? What has God given you? Because when we use our time and we use our money and we use our talent and we pour it in the next generation, it has a huge impact on them in, in little and in, in, in some pretty big ways. Um, I read this online. I don't even remember who it was from, but um, I thought it was really good. I, it, it's, I was going to say it's a longish quote, but Eric reminded me, no, it's just a long quote. It's not longish. It's long. So here it is. Listen to what this guy said about, you know, the people who have come before us. Somewhere, there's a 72-year-old woman who served you a snack at Vacation Bible School. There's a man who taught your youth class when you were in the eighth grade and took you to the bowling alley. You remember seeing the guy who always mowed the churchyard. You remember the ladies who checked you in at Awanas and ran game time. There's someone who gave you a ride home from church on Sunday nights, a mom and dad who sang right beside you every week. There's a lady playing a piano that you took for granted, possibly even a preacher that had an impact on you that you didn't even realize at the time. Woo, woo, let's go. So many people, (laughs) so many people play a part in your spiritual journey. Thank God for them all. And remember that just because you may not be in a position at church that gets a lot of attention, you're as important as anyone in the body of Christ to that kid who benefits from your serving. It's true. There's people in your story and in my story. For me, it was Jeannie Harrell. I came to church as a fifth grader, and Jeannie Harrell taught my Sunday school class. I still see her on Facebook today. She's, she was older then, and she's older now, right? Um, and, and she taught me, and she said I was a rambunctious fifth grader who didn't want to listen and kept crawling under the table. I think that's weird behavior at fifth grade, but that's what I was doing. <laughs> but I guess I heard something. I guess something got through about what she was saying about all the Jesus stuff. And she invested in me. Maury Osborne uh, was a guy in the church who was... Uh, going to law school. He was probably in his 40s, 30s, 40s when I was a teenager. And he was a guitar player, and he got me involved in worship leading. He even advocated for me to be the main worship leader at the church on Wednesday nights as a 16-year-old kid leading the whole church. Um, Randy Garland was a high schooler when I was in middle school, and Randy somehow made Christianity kind of cool to me. And, and um, as an older teen, invested in me as a younger teen. And I looked up to him, and I thought, oh, man, this is kind of neat what we can do here and, and what this little community is we're forming here. Dave Pardue, the preacher of my home church, uh, was wise and patient and a godly man, and I looked up to him, and he always had time for me. The truth is, all of us stand on the shoulders of somebody who's gone before. I have mine. You have yours. There are people that have invested in you, and I can't pay them back. I can't. I mean... 
Um, almost everybody I just mentioned is still alive, so I could, I could write them a note. Thank you for being patient with a fifth, uh, a, a fifth grader. Thank you for being the cool high school kid when I was in middle school. Thank you for letting me lead worship. And I've, and I've thanked those people in various ways over the years, but I can't really pay them back for the time, money, and talent that they invested in me over the years. The best thing I could do is pay it forward. I can go, all right, someone did this for me. I need to do this for someone else. Who's, who's the next generation? Who's, who's coming forward? Who, who's coming, coming up that I need to pour into and, and give them what I know and, and help them? This is really what I've always wanted our church to be. I think as an adult, I pl- you dream about planting a church or let's have a church, and you think about adults gathering like this. We sing together and we pray and all, all that kind of ministry. You think about serving in the community like we did this week with Love Week. You think about those kind of things. But for me, the dream was always, um, it, it always involved kids and teenagers because that was my own story. I come into the church in fifth grade with, as a child. With my, I got my brother involved and a single mom, and we start getting involved in the church, and people there invested in me. The reason I got baptized is one of the elders from the church, who was about 40, came over to me when I was 12, came over to my house one day a week and taught me the Bible for an hour. Can you, and he had kids of his own. It's not, like he was, it's not like he had nothing going on. Can you imagine doing that today? So the reason I planted a church and some of the heart of this is we want to see this happen for your kids and for that single mom who walks in with a kid who's struggling or for that couple who's had their first child and they're trying to figure out how do we do this or, or for, you know, for all of the folks that there's an opportunity here to pass on faith. Um, we, we tend to think of legacy like, oh, my legacy, I've got to take care of my kids I've got to make sure they're financially set up. I've got to make sure that they, they, I've passed on my values to them. But I don't think legacy is, is really that way. Say it this way. Legacy is not me taking care of mine. It is us taking care of ours and pointing them to Jesus. And it's going to take all of us. I, there's a great picture. I wish I could show it to you, but I just saw it like about, about an hour ago. Uh, Dan Harris here from church posted this picture from last night, and it was uh, Adam. Adam White had a party because he's—that's how he do. He just—if <laughs> you know Adam, you know how funny that is. Uh, Adam White had a party last night, and um, a bunch of people were there, and they took a picture um, of everybody just kind of posing for the picture. And um, I was really struck by. Uh, as I look at the faces in the picture, I'm like, oh, it's so-and-so, and I'm looking at everybody in the room, like, oh, that's so great, and this, this person, this person. And my kids are in there, teenagers, and, and uh, um, Ollie Ware was in there, another, te- another teen, and, um, and I just thought, man, those teenagers are surrounded by adults who know them and love them and have done so for, like, a lot of them for, like, a better part of a decade or, or more. And there's something to that. There's something powerful about that that there's, there's a legacy there. And not everybody in the picture is a parent, but they've all invested in some way. And, and my kids' lives and our family's life is richer for it. And, and, and that's what I want to see for, for everyone. Um, because I, I, I truly believe to, to, 
we have an opportunity in front of us to pass on faith, but I think it's, it's really going to take all of us to do it. Let's pray. God, I pray that we are able to take our next step, that we are able to say, man, I need to, I need to give some time. I need to volunteer my talents. I need to um, give money away generously so that um, kids can come to know you. Um, God, may this be a place that that happens uh, of, of all generations, that all generations are coming together in this community to love you in the city, and that, that expands out, and that more and more people come to know you. Um, thank you, God, for uh, the shoulders I stand on of all the people who have gone before me, and the shoulders that we all stand on of people who have passed on the faith to us. God, we, we can never repay them for their love, time, energy, generosity, their sacrifice, but we can pay that forward, and I pray we all take the next steps to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.